very hard to love the brotherhood of believers at all times. A verse that I've quoted often is, to live above with saints we love is endless bliss and glory. To live below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. God's given us the church. He's allowed us to flourish in the church and again to discover what it means to belong. Before we do that, let's focus our eyes, uh, our thoughts, our attention on the things that are central to the word of God. Yes, we believe in the holy universal church of God, the the church that God has made holy through his son. But there are a number of other essential things that we believe in. So let's stand together. Let's say the creed. The creed's up on the screen. It's the Apostles' Creed, and it's held by many, many denominations. So let's stand together to confess our faith in Jesus Christ and God the Father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, he died and was buried. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Christ's holy universal church, the fellowship of Christians, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Gracious God, we pray that this morning we would focus on you, focus on what you want us to do as a church, where you want us to go, how you want us to respond to your word. And we pray that filled with your spirit, we might endeavor to do everything as a church that would bring honor to you. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So let's start off from base level. A church is made up of individuals, individual Christians. that he's been transformed by Jesus Christ. It's easy. When you want a definition of a Christian, it's very easy just to pull out a verse and throw the verse back at the person who's asking the question. But that doesn't mean to say that we've automatically grasped and gained what being a Christian is all about. We, We can quote verses and we can have good theology But the more difficult question is, how do we live our lives practically in the presence of God to display sincere purpose in doing his will, both individually and corporately? It's easy for a child to take up a maths textbook and learn the example that is given of the specific requirement 
a note of Pat. And as soon as it seems as though that question is asked for them to turn up the answer and just regurgitate exactly what they've learned as the example. But if the child can't take that example and put it in with different parameters or with a different perspective, it's all lost. It's no better than a bicycle without handlebars. You'll get momentum, but you're not going to necessarily get direction. So my question is, how does your faith change the way that you live on a daily basis? Because if, as individuals, we're not growing in Christ and putting that into practice in our lives, we're really not doing what the church ought to be doing. We need to interact with other Christians. I'm not asking, should you be a member or why should you not be a member? I'm asking, are you belonging to a church? My, my investigation into this is quite interesting. Because as I was going through my sermon outline, I thought there's mutual responsibility, there's mutual accountability, there's mutual benefits. But there are lots of people who want to be an individual rather than a part of the body. And so as I was reading through a number of ideas and thoughts, I came across a quote from Alexis de Tocqueville, I think, he, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He lived in the 1840s, and he wrote about individualism. Now we've got nowadays, we've got individual individual. Sorry, try again. Expressive individualism, where everybody wants to be recognized by the pronouns that they want. Everybody wants to be an individual. Nobody wants to follow the crowd. And when I traced this quote back, I realized how old the individual perspective is of each person. This is, this is what he wrote about America. He's French, and he wrote this about America, expressing what individualism is. He said, individualism is a calm and considered feeling which disposes each citizen to isolate himself from the mass of his fellows and withdraw into a circle of family and friends. With this little society formed to his taste, he gladly leaves the greater society to look after itself. And I thought that is exactly what the church is not. We can't just withdraw into a little lager, put up a good fence around us and say we're part of a church. We need to belong to one another and we need to belong to society in general. The option to find regular fellowship ought to be high on the Christian's list. The opportunity to worship together ought to be a priority in our lives. It ought to be handed on to our children and our grandchildren. And have that opportunity of reaching out to the weak Christian and drawing them back to Christ and saying to a strong Christian, you're accountable. You can't run off and do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. Each person is accountable to one another. And so that, to that end, I'm looking at these three points. It struck me as I was reading part of the Old Testament that there's a chap by the name of Achan. 
I don't know if you are familiar with who Achan is or what he did, but he, he, uh, he appears in Joshua chapter 7. Let me give you a little bit of the background to try and give you some understanding of what it means to live for one another. God had told his people to go and attack a city of Ai. Just take 3,000 people. They went off and they came back and they were thoroughly routed. 36 people were killed and Israel was sent packing. And Joshua comes to the Lord and he's distraught. I'm just going to pick up a couple of verses. So verse 10 of Joshua 7, the Lord says to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel have sinned. They have violated my command, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. And they have put them with their own possessions. So where, in the understanding of warfare, you would take loot, booty, from the other, uh, from your enemies as soon as you defeated them. God had said specifically in this conquest, you're not to take anything. And clearly somebody had disobeyed what the Lord had said. And so God says, separate them. Separate them by tribe. I'll identify the tribe. Then break it down to clans. From clans to families, from families to individuals. And this is what they did. And they broke it down and it appeared that Achan had stolen some of the stuff that he had seen. Now, you can read the story when you get home, but surprisingly, Achan is put to death. Well, that's not the surprising part. Clearly, he had disobeyed the Lord. But the surprising thing is that they took everything that belonged to him, everything in his tents, all his possessions, and his flocks and his herds, and his wife and children. They stoned them and they burned everything. Now, in our Western individual mind, we say, that's not fair. What did his children have to do with it? What did his wife have to do with it? He went off. It was his decision. But to show mutual responsibility, God had said that they are to put everything aside. And Achan looked at it, and he thought, this will be good for me. Personal enrichment. Where normally you would distribute the the loot between everybody in the community if you had overcome a different nation. Achan had taken it for himself. And in this instance where God said, it is my battle, it is my victory, I will have the glory, Achan still thought, nobody will know. He defiled that set-apartness of the nation. While attacks were to show dominance of one nation over another, God said, this is my battle. And Achan, by saying, it might be your battle, but I want a little bit of the spoils, was saying, Lord, you can have the victory, you can have the glory, but I want a little bit of something for myself. He had destroyed that set-apartness of the nation. While everything was done communally to show who God was, Achan decided that his understanding was better than God's, and he would do whatever he wanted to do, despite what God had said. Son of Adam, once again, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that, but I think that this will advantage me, because then I'll know good from evil. 
Every time we sin, we're saying, Lord, put that idea on hold because I've got a better idea and I think I'm going to run with my idea. And every time it brings disaster. You see, God had made them into a nation. In fact, just a little while before this, in Exodus, God had set them apart as a nation. God had said in Exodus 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle wing and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You see, God's building them into a holy nation. He's making them responsible to one another. But individuals are saying, I think that's a good idea for everybody else, but I'm not prepared to be a part of it. I want to be my own little individual. I want to do things my way. And it's a whole lot easier being a Christian without a whole other bunch of other Christians around you. Nobody's going to pull you up short and say, excuse me, shouldn't you be doing this? Nobody's going to reveal your true identity. Nobody's going to ask you, so how are your quiet times going? Are you praying regularly? You'll never be pushed spiritually to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. You wax and wane by yourself, but you can handle that because nobody else understands you. You see, I don't want to be a part of fellowship. I just want to go to the mountains. I want to be by myself. And I just want to find God by myself. I'll worship him. Yes, I'll sing, I'll sing loudly on the, at the top of the amphitheater. I will worship God. But that's not what he's calling us to do. If we don't want to take what God did for Israel in Exodus, listen to similar words spoken by Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible, and it uses the same Phrase. Jesus says in Revelation 1, 5 and 6. To him who has, sorry, verse 6. To him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us, same phrase as Exodus, to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's what belonging to a church means. We're a kingdom of priests, or we're kingdom and priests to serve our God and Father. You can't be a kingdom without people around you. Sorry, you can't be a king without people around you. You can't be a priest without representing someone. We belong to a church for mutual responsibility, but we also belong to a church for mutual dependency. Last week, we had a look at churches being made up of many people. Uh, we, we looked at the illustration of the body, the illustration of the building, and the illustration of the bride. And you can't be any one of those without others around you. And God has made us with our specific age, with our specific shape, and molded by society. And we we molded by by the people that we associate with, with the friends that we keep, the things that we read, what we watch on television, what we Google, the philosophies of the broader community, movies that we enjoy. All of these things start to shape us. They mold us into either instruments for Christ, honoring him, 
or instruments for self, honoring ourselves. And for that reason, Paul says, we belong to one another. We're part of a body. And though some people are heads, and uh, some, some people are ears and eyes, and some people are feet, and I'm just a toenail or something like that, it, it, we, we all serve a purpose. And you only realize what that purpose is when it's taken out, and you don't have it on you anymore. Furthermore, as soon as you amputate a part of your body, that body ceases to live. I think that's a brilliant illustration for the church. We belong to one another. And if we're not going to listen to God speaking about the Israelites or Jesus speaking about his church, surely we should listen to Paul. And Paul says we are made for one another, parts of the body. And yes, there might be exceptional circumstances where a person in a Muslim country is going to be persecuted if they find a church and they continue to worship the Lord by themselves. Or maybe a missionary where there are very few Christians around them and they've gone to evangelize a place. They, they don't have the community that we have. But Jesus' words are significant because he says we belong to each other. Just listening to a sermon this past week, the, the preacher was saying, the problem with English is we don't have a second person plural. Uh, you. Is it you singular or you plural? Uh, down in the deep south in America, they do. And he was extolling the virtues of living down in Texas. You all. And that's your second person plural. And when you start to read the Bible and you see as Christians, it's not speaking about you individually. It's y'all. It's not just what you up to. It's what are you alls doing? And so when we, when we read a passage like Jesus speaking, to, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you all are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light in a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let yours light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's what Israel had to do as a set-apart nation. And that's what we, as Christians in Hilton, need to do to show an alternative lifestyle to just doing things for ourselves and honoring ourselves and making sure that we are noticed rather than Christ is noticed. I've never seen anybody sit down at a steakhouse with a one-inch thick steak and take a single grain of salt and put it on. That's going to do nothing. But you take the salt shaker and you liberally apply sodium chloride to your food, and wow, suddenly it tastes a whole lot better. And that's what we do. You know how frustrating it is when you've just got one of those little one-candle-powered torches. Remember those old things? Massive batteries like this. It's got a little thing that you, you're scared that if the wind blows, the thing's going to go out. And you're trying to find your way around your house. You need a 500 candle power 
LED globe that shows you where you're going. I'm a spiritual leader in the community. And I need your gracious reminder that, John, wind your neck in. You're not as important as you think you are. And we as a church need to walk alongside others who are going through difficulties and saying we're here for you and we will walk every single step of the way with you. You're not by yourself. We are dependent on one another. We make ourselves vulnerable so that others can minister to us. And we're never so proud to think that we are above being ministered to. But along with that, through the experiences, the difficulties, the hardships and the trials that God has taken us through, we do it for the comfort of others, that they may be comforted with the same comfort we ourselves have received. So I'll move on to my third point, and that is mutual benefit. What happens when we do this is that we're bound together in cords that cannot be broken. Let me turn you to the passage that was read to us from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm jumping around the Bible simply because I want you to see that this isn't my thought because we want a full church. This is the teaching of God right throughout the Bible of what it means to be part of a living, vibrant Christian community. Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That purpose, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Remember, there was a stage that you weren't a people, but now you're the people of God. There was a stage when you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. And he's not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to all of us. He's saying that's our common experience. We thought we could cope by ourselves, but we can't. We thought we could do it alone, but we failed. Then he spurs them on, and he begins verse 11 by encouraging them, because we live as foreigners in this world, we're not like the run of the mill everybody else. We must abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul. And we must live such good the day he visits us. In other words, the combined witness of the church is though they accuse us of wrongdoing, of hatred, of malice, the testimony of our witness stands supreme in every way so that they would have absolutely nothing to say before God on the day he comes again. It's a corporate endeavor. You can't do it alone. We're made for one another. We're made social beings. You'll never know what it is to give sacrificially apart from the body. Because though we all look at people and say, oh, well, you know, we, we give a lot to charities and various other organizations. We'll look at the church and we'll see the self-giving nature, not just in terms of finances, in terms of gifts, in terms of 
time, in terms of our experience, in terms of our negative history, we're able to help others around. And so Peter carries on, and as I pointed out a little bit earlier, he says, love the brotherhood of believers. And that's what it means to be a part of a community where the best, closest, most reliable relationships that we have are not with friends outside of the church, but with those we identify inside of the church. Because we are made to be countercultural, not following the, the ideas of the world, we are set apart for God. And that means that we are very different. We're different in nature. We're different in skills. We're different in experiences, in temperaments, in giftedness, in looks, in ethnicity, in education. But when we come together, the thing that binds us isn't that we all vote for the same party or that we all have the same level of experience or uh, intellectual capacity. The thing that binds us together is a love for Jesus Christ and developing from that a love for one another. And just as the nation of Israel wasn't allowed to go into the promised land one by one when they wanted to and how they wanted to, they couldn't go in in drips and drabs. They needed one another. They supported one another. They could not do it alone. But when the nations saw that God was on their side, they were terrified, not of this motley bunch of individuals that called themselves an army, but of the God that they served. So going back to Achan, it was defiance that made him take the plunder for himself where the people of God had to be set apart. Entering the homeland wasn't because they thought they were a superior nation and they, they could overthrow the other nations. It was because God was their God. And similar to the church now, we meet together not to say we're better than the outsiders who aren't going to church. You know, we had to endure a whole long sermon by this guy that stood up for I don't know how long. Surely we've got a better space in heaven now. <laughs> this isn't purgatory, I hope. But it's saying we're united in Christ. We've come together to serve him, to worship him together, to learn for ourselves and to be a people set apart for the praise of God so that we are spurred into action not only for one another, but for the good of a society. Being a Christian is absolutely not knowing the Bible. You can quote it, left, right, and center, back to front. Being a Christian is far more than a verbal assertion, I belong to Christ Church Hilton. Or I can quote 10 Bible verses that will put you in your place. Being a Christian is living in community with other Christians who are prepared and have the authority that you've given them to challenge you. To want you to be better for Christ in order that they might be better for Christ as well. It's a body of believers where everybody plays their part. Because we are mutually responsible, we are mutually accountable, and we receive mutual benefits from being with one another. 
So my question to each of you is, are you going to join that journey with us? Are you going to be a part of our church where you say, I'm going to give myself to the Lord as a part of the body, however that is, I can, in order that we might be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and Father? If the answer is yes, we'd love you to be here on the 3rd of March, another advert right at, right at the end, in order to know more about the church. We don't want you to come to church and not know what the church is about, not know what we offer, not know how you can be a part of that. And so this is all in order that we might understand each other. Another advert for this thing that the, the coffee and, and muffins afterwards. It's not just the people who have children who need to train children. It's all of us. We're in it together. We're walking alongside of each other and we're helping each other along the road. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, for me to belong to a church, it's not for me. It's not for the benefit of others. Primarily, it's for your glory that we might be set apart and not trying to display your grace, your favor, and the change that you have made in our lives by ourselves. But we live for you corporately so that Hilton, the community, would see the awesome love that you have shown to us. And they might have nothing to say on the day that you come and visit us. So gracious God, we pray that you would be with us through life's ups and downs. That we would be a servant to one another. But we would have the grace to allow others to serve us also. We ask this for the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.